This is the Adopted Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Season three, y'all. I'm Alex Fitton and I am back with the Adoptive Mom Podcast. 15 more episodes from amazing characters in the adoption world to give us solidarity, laughter, and hope as we walk through our stories. Um, Before we get started, I want to remind you guys to hop over to iTunes and rate and review the podcast, but only if you like it. If you don't, let's chat. And then hopefully when you like it, you can go back and rate and review. If you're a returning listener, go do that now, like right now. But if you're new, I'll let you wait till the end of the episode. I'm kind of kidding, but seriously. Um, Also, I want to get all up in your email starting this season. Join Team AMP to get weekly updates and direct links to videos, resources, and of course, the episode from the week. To subscribe, go to theadoptivemompodcast.com slash email and sign up. It's free. I'm not going to spam you. There's really nothing to lose. Okay, so now to the good stuff. For season three, episode one, we're sitting down with Angela Braniff from This Gathered Nest. Angie is a blogger, YouTuber, and a social media baller, and also, you guessed it, an adoptive mom. I can't wait to introduce you to Angie and her crazy tribe as we discuss adoptive motherhood and how fun and awesome it is to share what that looks like on a broader platform. So, here we go. All right, guys, I'm here with Miss Angela Braniff of This Gathered Nest, and I am so excited to have you on, especially because I've, like, we don't know each other in real life, so this is the first time we've talked, and that's super fun for me. So, how's it going, Angela? Good, good. How are you? I'm good. You know, I asked you before we started recording if it was Angela or Angie, and you said either one. Um, and that always makes me really nervous because I'm like, I'm- yeah. Well, so like close friends and family always call me Angie, but like, you know, when people first meet you, they usually call me Angela. But okay. I feel like, you know, when we're having this very personal conversation, <laughs> you can totally call me Angie. Yeah, we're about to get all <laughs> up in your, your story. So, you know. <laughs> Uh, So speaking of story, why don't you just take a second, introduce us to your family. And for those who have not heard of you or your uh, all of your stuff, um, maybe just tell us who you are. Yeah, sure. So I am Angela or Angie, however you want to call me. Um, We have my husband and I, let's see, we met in high school. Actually, it was junior high school. We were 13 when we met. Um, And we actually didn't start dating until high school. But uh, yeah, so we're high school sweethearts. And We have two biological daughters, and then when they were about four and six years old, we started the adoption process, and since then, we have added five more children to our family um, through adoption in some form or another. Uh, We have a son that we adopted from Congo in 2012, a little boy that we adopted domestically as an infant in 2013, and then our daughter Rosie we adopted from China really at the very end of 2015, beginning of 2016. And then I gave birth to twins that we adopted via embryo adoption, um, and they just turned one years old. So we've got seven kids. Uh, we homeschool. It's just, it's like loud and crazy and fun and chaotic, and sometimes I hide in the bathroom and cry, and it's fine. <laughs> and you put it on the internet for all to see. Right. And then I put myself out there for everyone to judge my life. So that's fun. (laughs) That's hilarious. I just, you know, as I was like watching some of your videos and looking through your website, I was like, this girl, 
I, I'm excited to talk to you about this because on paper, you know, it looks like this girl has it all, does it all, all that stuff. Oh, and gosh, no. because I'm a fellow mom, I know that that can't be true. So right. I'm so excited to talk to you about all yes. of that stuff because you are a fellow adoptive mom who chooses yeah. to live your life a little bit more upfront than some others. Um, and I yep. obviously do the same. So I am thrilled to death to get into all of that. So you, yeah, it's cracking me up because the one year that you took off, uh, 2014 is the year that I started my motherhood. Journey. Okay. <laughs> well, it ebbs and it flows, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I want to hear all about um, just how you got into adoption. So tell, tell me your adoption story or all of your adoptions stories. Yeah. So like sort of the cliff note version um, is that in high school, actually, I used to watch a show. I mean, on TLC, I was one of the first like reality shows, I guess it was called Adoption Story. Okay. And they also had Baby Story and all that. This is probably aging me because um, I don't, those shows are definitely not on anymore. But basically, they would follow families through the adoption process. And I became incredibly intrigued by adoption, you know, at 16 years old. And so when my husband and I got married, I kind of said, like, you know, I want to adopt. It was always just something that I wanted to do at some point. It felt, it made sense to me. If I have love to give and there's kids who need love, then why, why would I not do that? Mm -hmm. Um, and he was, you know, kind of like, okay, I mean, we were like 21 when we got married. So I'm pretty sure he would agree to anything at that point. <laughs> um, and then we had our two biological daughters and I struggled with hyperemesis with both of their pregnancies. Uh, princess Kate made that famous. So thank you to the princess for that because prior to her having it, nobody knew what it was. And they were like, I don't understand. You throw up like 20 times a day. Okay. That doesn't sound fun, but they don't really understand it. And I feel like once princess Kate had it, people were like, oh, that does sound bad. Um, but so I had that with my, both of my biological daughters. And so we said, you know what, maybe like now we just need to kind of shut the door on having biological children and move forward with adoption. It wasn't really plan B for us. It was sort of like plan a point one. Right. Um, like that season so, was over and now it was time for yeah. the next one. And now it was time to, to move on to the next phase of building our family. Um, and so I really just kind of started praying and trying to figure out what made the most sense. And I had a lot of preconceived notions about adoption and things I'd seen on TV. And I mean, I probably had seen like one too many Lifetime movies. So I was a little <laughs> bit afraid of doing like a domestic infant adoption because, you know, she's going to come sieve that baby back for me in the middle of the night. And so I was like, I don't know. And so I just really did a lot of praying. And then I came across a woman on Facebook and, um, actually then saw her video of her adoption of Lucy Lane from Ethiopia and probably many adoptive moms know her story and know that video because I know it was sort of instrumental in a lot of people's adoptions. But, um, that really sort of opened my eyes to international adoption. Mm. And so we started looking down that path, but it was right about the time that Ethiopia started really to slow and shut down, basically like kind of come to a screeching halt. And so then I felt really confused, like, okay, God, I felt like you called us to do this. And now all the doors are closing. Um, and that was when I came across a small little pilot program, uh, in the Congo with a small agency and we decided to, to go for it. Um, so yeah, that was a, that it was a crazy and crazy. I, it, I couldn't even go into it all right now in this interview. It was a completely crazy process, um, with lots of ups and downs. And I ended up basically having to like get on a plane and say, I'm going to go to this country for however long it takes to finish this adoption and get my son home. Um, because my agency just had no clue what they were doing. And wow. I was finding connections on the ground that knew more than the agencies did. And it was a very frustrating time, but I was able to go there 
um, complete his adoption and everything and bring him home. And pretty soon after we brought him home, we knew like we definitely didn't, I mean, just truth. We definitely did not want him to be the only kid in our family who didn't look like us. We could, we knew right away. And just from, you know, research we'd done and understanding like representation is important. And we knew that having someone else in the family that looked like him would be important to him. And we knew we wanted to keep growing our family. So it just made sense. Um, so that's when we decided to do a domestic infant adoption. At that point, I was a little more educated on adoption and not so fearful of things like that. <laughs> but nevertheless, we had the the one thing happen that everybody dreads, and that is that we walked down the path with a birth mother. And then um, the week that she was supposed to have the baby, I had my bags packed. They were sitting at the door. I had a bag full of baby girl clothes and mm. everything for this little baby girl. And I got a call from the attorney that said, she's changed her mind. And we were devastated. Um, yeah. It was really, really tough. I, I, I still find though those little nuggets of grace in that because my one prayer always was, Lord, please just if she's going to change her mind, let her do it before I go to the hospital and hold this baby and love this baby or take this baby home. Please let her change her mind before then. So there was some grace in the fact that she did it before I ever held the baby, which was great. Um, and. In hindsight now, in the moment, you're heartbroken, but in hindsight now, I can see that, um, and and I did feel this way all along. It never felt like my baby. It was always her baby, Um, and I just wanted what was best for her and the baby, and um, I I, I wish I knew how they were doing now, but I don't. Um, Anyhow, so I'm going off on a tangent now. We ended up up, um, sort of taking a break for a few months. you know, because financially that hurt. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and emotionally we were hurt. It was sort of all those things. Um, and then after the summer was over, we, we had taken a family trip to the beach and just had a really great time. And, um, after the summer was over, we came back and I told my husband, like, I think maybe we need to sort of jump back in now. So we emailed our consultant and said, I think we might be ready. And she was like, well, that's good because I have a situation are you interested? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> we have a situation. So <laughs> we have a situation. I know that's how they always like adoption situation. Um, <laughs> I love it. It's like a CIA thing. <laughs> um, so she sent me an email and I literally opened it and there was a picture of this baby. He had just been born and he was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen with the most gorgeous set of lips on him that I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my gosh. And she said, you know, he's already here. Uh, We need to present interested families right away. You're going to need X amount of money in the next three weeks. And so that was when I was like, oh, shoot, kind of hung my head. And um, I was in my office working and I went into the living room where my husband was. And I said, you know, let me show you this email. And there's this baby. And, you know, what do you think? And he was like, babe, I mean, I would love to, but we don't have the money. Like, he's already here. This is not like we have four months to figure it out. Um, He's already here. Like, we can't do that. And so I, I went back in my office and I sat down and I tried to keep working. Um, I was editing pictures cause I'm now a retired photographer. Um, <laughs> but I was like editing pictures and I just kept saying, like, I just kept hearing, I guess, a voice really in the back of my head that was like, all I've ever asked of you is to walk through the open doors and this is an open door and you need to walk through it. And if you claim that you trust me, you need to trust me with everything money too. Um, and that, that amount of money, that $10,000, it seems like a mountain to you, but it's nothing to me. Wow. And do you trust me? And I was like, okay. So I like put my paper down and I went back into the living room and I was like, all right, <laughs> hear me out. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure my <laughs> husband's eyes rolled so hard, 
But he was like, okay. And I'm like, we have to try. Like, we have to try. I pled my case. I said, I will do everything. I will sell everything in this house that isn't nailed down. I will do whatever. Um, And he was like, okay, let's just, you're right. Let's just try. We don't even know that we're going to get chosen. So that was on a Saturday. And so I responded and said, yes, 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 please present us. And so on Monday, kind of the whole day went by. My consultant called. She was like, I'll let you know if we hear anything, you know, da 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 And then it was about 5.30 and I was on the phone with my sister and I saw I had a call and it was from Florida, which was the state that he was in. And I mean, I like basically hung up on her. I'm not even sure I said goodbye. I think I was just like, oh, sorry. Bye. Um, <laughs> Gotta go. And it, and it was the adoption agency and they were like, we just wanted to let you know that you've been chosen. And, uh, and I mean to tell you, I was jumping up and down. You know when you do the like screaming on the inside thing uh, where you don't, you can't make any noise on the outside. But I was like jumping up and down on the couch and like, <laughs> um, my dog was looking at me like I had gone completely crazy. And I called my husband. And I was like, they picked us, they picked us, they picked us. And, and he was like, yay. <laughs> because it was that like, this is great, but also holy crap, what are we going to do? Um, and so, you know, immediately, immediately I went into, Angie's going to make this happen because that's what I do. I make things happen. So I started writing down a list of all the ways that I was going to make this happen. I was going to do this and I was going to sell that. And we were going to do this kind of fundraiser and that and I was going to make a t-shirt and we were, and I just started writing down all the ways. And I wrote out a blog post. Um, and I just kind of was like, okay, you know, this is what we're doing. And I put a link to our Adopt Together account because we had one, um, you know, that was there if people wanted to make a donation. But I, I never expected that. I was just, I always knew like, okay, we're just going to, we're going to find a way. Um, and so the next morning I hit publish on that post. And by lunchtime, it had been shared and shared and shared. And this was before, long before I had any kind of like following on social media. Like, let me explain that. Like, I didn't, this was a family and friends blog. This wasn't Mm. like a business for me at that point or anything. Um, I mean, I probably had like 24 people following my blog. Um, but Facebook's, you know, was really very widely used at the time. Um, and people just started sharing my posts like, Hey, this local family, like they're trying to complete this adoption. They have three weeks. The baby's already here. Could you give anything? And like my friends just started sharing it. And next thing I knew, like people were just donating like crazy. And I am not even kidding you when I tell you that within 24 hours, the next morning, by the same time, we had over $10,000 in that account. What? Uh, and it like, I can't even talk about it without crying because it was like, it was like God was saying like, I know that you think that you can do this and that you need to do this, but I'm doing this because this is it was just his way of, I don't know, like showing off is what it felt like. Cause he kept it. It was just sort of like, you didn't trust me. You thought that maybe I wouldn't provide or that maybe you could do it in your own strength and in your own power and in your own will. But really it's all in my control anyways. So Um, cool. No t-shirt necessary. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Like here's your $10,000. You don't have to. And I know that that's not how it always happens. And believe me when I say like all of our other adoptions were, you know, scratching for every penny, um, to, to make them happen. But that one was a really big miracle for us that really helped us to see like God's heart for adoption. And that when we step out in faith to do these things that he doesn't just leave us out in this sort of desert to do it on our own. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's, I mean, that was a long story to tell you about Jonah. Um, (laughs) what a cool story. And 
I don't know. That's just that in and of itself is a cool testimony. And I think it's so cool that you guys have, you know, three more stories like that that are just awesome. Yeah. I mean, every single one of them has been amazing in its own, in its own way. Um, and the different things it's done in our lives and in our family's lives, um, has been incredible. Um, and I feel like it was probably, we kind of thought for a while we might be done at that point. I mean, we had two girls, we had two boys. We thought maybe we'll, maybe we'll just be done. Right. Like the world says that this is like the right, I mean, well, the world says that was too many kids, four (laughs) kids is too many kids, but it was like an even number, you know, two boys, two girls. That's great. Um, but we just weren't really sure. And then one day I was scrolling through Facebook like one does. And my friend was advocating for this little girl. And um, I saw her and I was like, oh, my gosh, she's so precious. Her name was Rosie and she lived in China and um, she had Down syndrome. And that was something that was always like we were very open to that without really knowing. Like it was just we just kind of thought like, oh, yeah, that's definitely something we would be open to. Um, so we decided to like look at her file And after I opened her file and saw that her birthday was the same day as mine, I was like, okay, I think this might just be meant to be. Um, And so my husband needed a little more time with this one. He needed a little bit of time. I can't, I would be lying if I said I gave him like lots of space and time to think about it. I pretty (laughs) much harassed him for days. So now he totally, you know, would say like, yes, absolutely. It was, you know, meant to be kind of a thing. But in the moment, I think he was a little more like, would you get off my back? <laughs> um, oh, that sounds like something I would do. Yeah. I just, Slash you know, it's what the, I would do. yeah, it's like the mama thing where it's just they and men are so different. You know, they're thinking about the family security and finances. And again, you know, we start these adoptions without the money in the bank to actually like pay for them, um, you know, straight away kind of a thing. And so we've seen God provide, but it's still scary every single time. Um, but he agreed (laughs) after a little bit, he was like, okay, I think you're right. I think this is what we're supposed to do. So, um, we started her adoption process and, uh, I think most adoptive moms can relate that like, once you give me the green light, I'm like, in it to win it. And I, we started her process and I was on the ground in China to pick her up eight months later. I mean, it was fast, fast, fast. Cause I just didn't sit on anything. Of course you have to wait for other people to do their jobs, which stinks. But, um, right. I was, I was quite fast with my paperwork. <laughs> um, most it's usually about a year with China. I feel like eight, unless you have like a medical expedite, but yeah, I was like, you know, I was there with bells on, um, but she was in a great NGO. So I didn't like worry about her a ton, but even still, like no matter how great it is, no orphanage is where children should grow up. So, um, so yeah, so we brought her home. I actually left on Christmas day, 2015. Um, my kids are all young. So we just celebrated Jesus's birthday a day early. Nobody was the wiser. And, (laughs) and I got on a plane on Christmas day and flew to China with my sister to get Rosie. And, Um, that actually turned out to be the hardest, um, the hardest of all of our adoptions. And I didn't see it coming at all. I was way too cocky and confident that like, oh, I've got this bonding thing down. I've got Mm. this attachment thing down. I know how this is going to go. And I did not expect how it actually went. Um, and it was really hard. And that was, um, bringing her home and the first probably six weeks she was home were some of the darkest times of my life. And it's not something I've ever really talked about a ton. Um, 
but it was really, really hard because I just, I, I wasn't prepared. I went in thinking that it was going to be like every other time and it wasn't. Um, so brought her home and yeah, then uh, somewhere in between Jonah and Rosie, we had actually decided to start trying to have another baby. We thought we would sort of round out our family with one last biological child. Long story short, I'd done a bunch of research and worked with my doctor and thought that we had found sort of a cure for hyperemesis um, that would work for me. And um, lo and behold, found out that we actually struggled with secondary infertility. And mm. the nicest way the doctor put it was that, like, you have the eggs of a woman twice your age. <laughs> so my eggs were old and they did not want to to apparently make any more children. <laughs> so after uh, two years of infertility struggles and trying everything out there that was possible, um, nothing worked. So uh, we ended up kind of stumbling upon embryo adoption and we were like, kind of, that was like our, it sounds really bad, but like that was our Hail Mary. We were like, you know what? We're going to try this. Like, obviously for us, it, it, it doesn't matter. Like DNA, <laughs> we don't, we don't care. You know, we just really wanted one last baby to round out our family. Um, we didn't, you know, we, at that point we were just like, we don't care if it's biologically ours or not. Um, and so we decided to do embryo adoption and, uh, the doctor said, you know, best chances if you put in two and we were like, okay. And obviously we knew there was a chance of twins, but when you've been, when all you've seen is negative pregnancy tests for two years, you don't think it's going to work at all, let mm -hmm. alone both of them are going to stick around. Um, but sure enough, they did. And, um, I was so sick <laughs> and the doctors were, you know, like, okay, let's start the medicine. And we started the medicine and it didn't work. And I was really, really sick most of their pregnancy, but they made it here. Um, and now they are healthy, happy one-year-olds. And we kind of just have this sort of like big, crazy family. And, um, people are always trying to figure us out because the twins do actually look a lot like our biological daughters. <laughs> so people just assume that they are, but they're not. Um, so it's just funny. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a lot of story. And I have a lot of I questions. Know, I'm sorry. No, okay. <laughs> I'm excited. I had to like Everyone write does. them down because this I, is, yeah. I think I should have asked you like, how long do you actually want me to talk for? <laughs> oh girl, we got time. I'm, this is, this is so cool. So, Okay. My first question, this is, you were my first embryo adoption interview. So I'm thrilled about that, but I, I need you to uh, really dumb it down for me. How did, how did this happen? How does it yes, work? Okay. Are they actually twins? Like, are they? Yeah. So okay. people had a lot of questions about this and I was, I was taken aback because I felt like a, a little bit like, gosh, man, we, we sure do forget a lot of stuff from school because a lot of people have a lot of confusion about the difference between an embryo and an egg and things yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, basically what it is is like when couples do IVF, they oftentimes have extra embryos, which are, you know, created when the sperm and the egg meet and then you have this embryo. Right. Um, and they get frozen for IVF processes. And sometimes families either don't want, you know, maybe they get 10 embryos and they don't want to have 10 kids. So they have limited choices. This is all, I mean, we are kind of getting into the ethical side of IVF and people have lots of different feelings about this. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, there's over 600,000 babies frozen on ice in the U S. So, um, couples, if they don't want to discard them or don't want to donate them to science, um, or don't want to keep them frozen indefinitely, they have another option, which is to donate them. 
Um, embryo adoption and donation, are those terms are used interchangeably, but um, it is a donation. It's not a technical adoption. There's no adoption paperwork um, as far as like birth certificates or anything like that. Like the girls, I'm my husband and I are on their birth certificate as their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like anything has to happen after delivery or whatever. It's sort of like, you know, when couples struggle with infertility, they might use just an egg donor or just a sperm donor. Right. This is basically just using a donor for both pieces of the puzzle. Um, but for, so, so our girls are twins because, and that's the other thing people get confused about twins. There's identical twins, which are babies that share the same DNA. And then there's fraternal twins, which are completely individual, separate DNA babies that are just born at the same time. Um, so even when couples conceive twins naturally, um, if they're fraternal, then it really is just like having two of your kids at the same time. So that's what Ivy and Amelia are. Um, they're fraternal twins. They're not identical. Um, they were two separate embryos that were implanted at the same time. Um, so yeah, so they are twins, but they're fraternal twins. Right. And I knew that fraternal twins are, I mean, they're essentially the exact same as siblings. They're just born at the same time. Um, Exactly. But were, so were the embryos from the same donor? Yes. So they are biologically related. Yes. The girls are, the girls are biologically sisters and we get asked that a lot too. Um, Yes, they are from the same biological parents. Um, So yes, they are 100% biological sisters. That is, I just think that that's so cool. And I, like I said, I'm fascinated. I don't, I've never had an interview where we, where we talked about embryo adoption and I didn't realize how, um, I don't know how much of an issue. I knew that it was a controversial issue, but I didn't know how many embryos are frozen or, um, not discarded, but not used or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, IVF is, you know, it's so tough for me because as somebody who struggled with infertility and who's been through the IVF process, I do understand, um, people's concerns, But I also um, feel like ultimately at the end of the day, no matter what you do science-wise, there's still only one who can create life, and that's God. Because no no matter how great your doctor is, they can put in the best, most beautiful-looking embryo into the most perfect-looking uterus, and you still don't get pregnant because it still takes God to make that spark of life. Um, So it's... when people say you're playing God, I, I disagree. He still has full control. Um, and I do believe infertility is, is a disorder, just like somebody having diabetes or something. We treat that. Like, why do we not help? Why, why are we so stingy about helping people treat their infertility, which is a health related issue? Um, just like we help them treat diabetes or something else, you know? Um, so I think it's really easy to have, very staunchly negative views on things like that when it's not part of your story. It's a little bit easier to pass judgment on people who do those sort of things um, if it's not a decision you've ever had to make. Right. And you, you know, you, I feel like you can really speak to this more than um, a lot of those people can because you didn't, I think that another one of those controversial opinions is that if you can't have a baby, then adopt. And you're like, well, I'll just do all of it. And we'll just we'll call it yeah. a day. I always laugh a little bit when people try to say like snarky things like, oh, well, why did you adopt from another country? Uh, well, I also adopted domestically. Well, why did you uh, do IVF? 
well, I also adopted. Like it's a little bit, I, I just laugh a little bit because again, I come back to the, my response to those people is always, that's so awesome that you love domestic adoption. Where are you in the domestic adoption process? Mm-hmm. I always turn it back on them because again, it's so easy to judge what someone else is doing. And if people just spend a little more time worrying about themselves and what they, what they're doing and a little bit less about everybody else, like I think things would be a little bit better. You know, we're all just trying to do what we believe is best for our families. Um, and where we feel really led to towards adoption. And you can't answer that question for somebody else. Yeah, definitely. And um, I also, I wanted to touch on something you talked about, which is attachment. And we've talked about attachment a lot on the podcast. Um, and just my personal story, you know, attachment has been something I have two adopted kids and it was easy with one and not with another. And, mm-hmm. um, and it sounds like that was your story too. What, what are some of your views and how have you walked through some of those hard times with attachment? Because I know as moms, a lot of times we feel like we're failing. We feel like we're not doing it right because these, you know, maternal instincts are just lovey feelings that we feel like we should instantly have and that our passion for adoption told us we would have. Uh And then when it doesn't happen, we feel like we're doing something wrong. So how, how is that? How has your journey been through that? Yeah, it's, um, whew. Again, I say like some of the, some of the lowest of lows in my life have come through those attachment struggles um, because it's actually attachment has actually been something we've struggled with with two of our kids. One of them was you know parent to child issue, and the other one was child to parent issue. Mm. So we've kind of seen both, and I almost like at times feel bad talking about it because I know so many people have it so much worse. Right. I have some very dear friends who have some really dark and hard, hard places that they are in right now with their children from trauma, you know? Right. Um, and so I almost rad and stuff. Yeah. And, and that's not our story. We don't have a rad situation. We do have a child that has some attachment issues. Um, but, but like with Rosie, for example, uh, and again, you know, it's so hard because I am so public with my life and with our stories. Um, there's a lot of things I don't talk a ton about just because I want to be respectful of my children. Mm-hmm. And so I, I never want people, if you're not in the adoption world, sometimes it's so hard to say things and people are like, oh, well, you just don't love that child. Yes. And I'm like, that's not it at all. But thanks for making me feel like crap. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, with Rosie, it I needed time and I didn't I didn't think I would need time. So I didn't give myself that. And when I came home, she was attached to me like a barnacle. I mean, she knew from like day one, I was her mama and my sister was with me and, um, you know, they call aunties IE. And so she knew straight away from the moment we picked her up, I was mama and that was IE. And if IE tried to pick her up or help with her or feed her, no IE, mama. (laughs) And she just, she did not want anything to do with her, which was, that, that was great. But my heart was just completely struggling. Like I just felt like I, I think I was very sick in China. Um, I got vertigo and like some kind of crazy flu. And um, I was trying to hold it all together and keep up this like, you know, outward appearance of like everything's great. And she's so amazing. And she was so amazing. Um, but I was just on the inside. All I could think was, what have I done? Like, what have I done? I forced my husband to adopt and now, 
Like, I don't, I, what's the future going to look like? Did I even think this through? Like I pushed her through the store today and she was slapping people and knocking things off shelves and everyone was staring at me and I was humiliated. And like, I've never experienced this. You know, she was the oldest child we'd ever adopted. And she obviously had a special need of down syndrome. And I was just all of the sudden, all of these things just came into my mind that were going to be barriers, you know? Um, and it wasn't that I hadn't thought of them before. I just don't think I did a good job of processing them. And so when I came home, whew, man, it, it was dark, dark, dark time. And I actually reached out on Facebook to another mom that I barely knew. I mean, barely knew. <laughs> I don't even think she like knew my last name. Um, but I knew she had adopted from China and I knew that she had shared in the China adoption group about attachment struggles. And so I reached out to her and I mean, I word vomited all over that poor woman. <laughs> and if she saved that email, she could probably like, I don't know, she could, you know, she could share that and people would think I was a monster or something probably just because I was like, I don't know if I, you can love this child. And I don't, and I mean, I, I was a mess and and it wasn't within my character. It wasn't like who I normally was. It was so strange. And she really just said, like, you have to just stop. Take your expectations of yourself and your feelings and everything and just completely drop them. Everything. You just, and she basically told me, like, you will fake it until you make it. As long as she never, as long as she doesn't feel and you're not treating her any differently, then you have to, like, kind of start there. Mm -hmm. um, like, relax a little bit because you need to give yourself some time. Um, and just somehow in like that six weeks of saying, okay, I'm going to take all the expectations off. You don't have to feel anything right now, like a, a certain way you can take care of her, meet her needs, do the things she needs for you to do. Um, and, and let that love sort of grow. And, and that's exactly what happened when I put down the expectations and said, like, just take it day by day. And that's all that we needed was day by day to get to know each other and to, to sort of like fall in love, you know, um, it, love at first sight is absolutely possible with children. I believe I, I, it's happened to, for me multiple times, but other times it needs, it needs time. Mm -hmm. It still happens and it still gets there, but it needs time. And so that's exactly what happened. And, you know, of course now I couldn't imagine our lives without her and everything is great now. But in the beginning, it was just really, really hard. And I didn't expect it. And I think that's what made it even harder was that somehow I felt like I failed myself. Like I'd let myself down. Like, what kind of woman are you? What kind of mother are you? Um, yes. When really it was just, it, it, uh, it was just stress and anxiety and depression and all of these things that were telling me lies. Um, and I realized that, again, that's different. Not every attachment issue resolves itself like that. Um, there's definitely some that take years and years of work. Uh, so I don't want to make it seem like it, it's always that easy. But for us in that particular situation, it was just a matter of giving ourselves time. But I think that that's, I mean, I think that that's such an awesome testimony because that's part of what... Um, that's part of what I want to combat on the podcast is because whenever we jumped into this adoption thing, I think I had some preconceived notions that were incorrect. And I think that others led me to believe things that were incorrect. And then there were times when I felt no support and I, mm -hmm. I got people and I know that you get this too, thinking that I'm some sort of superhero and that somehow always made me feel worse. Cause I was like, I don't even like this kid, 
please don't <laughs> put me on a pedestal. And <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I I've only recently started realizing, and I actually I posted this on my Instagram the other day that um, gross feelings are not incorrect. So they still exist, and us pretending that they don't uh-huh. doesn't make it so. And we've got to learn to trust God and say like, hey, I just had this horrible thought. I know that you're big enough to take this, God. Um, uh-huh. I know that you're big enough to hold this for me. And um, and not just saying like, oh, just keep swimming. That doesn't exist. La, la, la. I can't hear you. you oh, know? right. Yeah. Blinders. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think that as moms, that's what, I mean, you mentioned earlier, just getting those comments where people want the happy ending. People want the pretty uh-huh. story. And when it's not pretty, they they sometimes disappear. And that's hurtful. And I'm not saying everyone does that, but when people when you feel like you're in a position where you either have to be honest and push people away or fake it to them, then that's, Uh that's really sucky, especially for someone like you and someone like me who, um, who wants to share their story, who doesn't want to just keep it under wraps. Um, right. That's so hard because I'm such an, I'm such an external processor and I'm such an extrovert that I'm like, no, I would love to talk to you. I just need you to hang out with me while I do it and not be like, Oh, that's scary. I'm out. Right. Right, exactly. Oh, you're a weirdo. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, okay. Um, I wanted to ask also, so your story with uh, your, your the, the girl that's mother, this, ugh, goodness, I'm gonna have to edit that part out. Um, the girl whose birth mom decided to parent, mm-hmm. did, you, did that change your views on birth moms? Or did you already have an established view that, that kind of just stayed? Um. Her, that whole experience changed my view on birth moms because it made it really personal. We went and met her and she was 21 years old. This was going to be her fourth child. Um, and she wanted better for herself and for her kids. She was a hard worker and she actually had plans to join the military and, you know, was going to place this baby with us. And then her other kids were going to go live with her sister. And I just like, I fell in love with her and her grit and her determination and her love for her children was inspiring to me. Um, I felt like, you know, again, our life circumstances often dictate the the situations that we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she had come from some really, really hard circumstances, things that I could never relate to or understand. So I never wanted to feel like I was sitting there judging her for, how she ended up here and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I knew that she had that baby's best interest at heart and she really, really wanted to follow through with her adoption plan. But she told us from day one, if my mom finds out that I'm placing this baby, she will not let me do it. And our attorney went to, you know, all kinds of lengths to try to help her, um, understand that like you're a grown woman, you can make these decisions for yourself. You do not have to let your mom decide this is your life. Um, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so everything was sort of going along smoothly. And then we ended up finding out later that mom had come to town and that Mm -hmm. was the same week that the baby, or I, apparently her sister told mom that she was pregnant. So then mom came to town and said, Oh, you're pregnant. Like, And, you know, no, you're absolutely not placing this baby for adoption. So I don't even think it was her choice to to back out. Um, So if anything, it gave me more of a heart for birth mothers and for um, and for wanting to make sure that they are 
treated with respect and talked about respectfully. And um, I never want to glorify anything one way or the other because every story is different. And some kids come from places that are bad. And I never want to make this sort of fantasy person out of a birth mother because they're not always like that, you know? Um, There's definitely some hard truths that a lot of kids have to face. And I don't think it does them any good to uh, try to imagine this woman as some kind of like fairy godmother all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hope that makes sense. Um, But I do find a lot of times that people tend to jump to quick judgments. Like, how could you do that? I could never place, I could never give up my baby. How could they do that? Um, And sort of just have a negative view of birth mothers in general um, without really being able to step back and realize that like, holy Jesus, these women are making the hardest decision Mm -hmm. and truly self-sacrificing decisions to place these babies in, in many, many cases. Um, I, I can't imagine being in a place where I had to make that decision. So I, I definitely don't pass judgment, but um, all of it helped me to have more of a heart, honestly, for, you know, for her specifically and just for birth mothers in general um, and understanding that it's just not always so black and white. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree with you that it's it's such a fine line between um, between making a fairy tale of every birth mom's story and also, you know, you want to respect these women for what they do. And something I've learned just through doing this podcast and through talking to birth mothers and um and putting together a birth mother's brunch for birth mom's day is, is that out of everything, when you take everything else away, the bottom line, they gave this kid life mm-hmm. and they didn't have to do that. And that at the very least, yep. that is honorable. And, um, absolutely. And that's one thing I never expected through this adopted adoption journey. I never expected myself to, um, to, to change my views on birth moms. I expected, to just be an adoption warrior. And, um, mm-hmm. instead I've kind of turned into an adoptive mom warrior. <laughs> and right. Didn't see that coming, but, um, but it's given me, I don't know, it's, it's given me fresh eyes and it sounds like it has yeah. yours too. And that's really cool to hear. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I want to talk about your, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about you living your life a little more public than some other adoptive moms. So what all do you do? Cause on top of everything, it seemed like you were bored with, uh, you know, the YouTube channel and just everything else. So you decided to homeschool too. <laughs> you just had some extra time on your hands. <laughs> right. Just, you know, like, well, I've got seven kids. So I've got nothing else to do. Um, no, we actually started homeschooling, um, when Kennedy and Shelby were, you know, starting out in kindergarten. So this is actually my seventh year homeschooling, but this is the first year that I've had, basically five kids. So, um, last year, Noah and Rosie both went to a charter school, um, for, for services, uh, basically, mm-hmm. um, you know, thinking that that would be a better fit for them than homeschool. And we don't feel like it necessarily was. So we decided to keep them home and homeschool them this year and see how it goes. Um, we do have a, a philosophy of every kid every year we evaluate and see what makes the most sense. Um, And if it doesn't, you know, if after this year, it just doesn't seem like it's working out, then we would absolutely consider putting them back in public school. But yeah, so homeschooling has kind of always been a part of my journey. And that's something that um, being home with my kids and homeschooling my kids has always been my first priority. So I also, though, enjoy working and enjoy doing things um, to contribute to my family and hobbies and, and things like that. So I've always been a little scrappy that way. 
And um, so when my girls were really young, I decided, I think I want to start a photography business. And so I did. <laughs> um, so I bought a camera and I taught myself um, how to take pictures and how to edit pictures. And um, I, I mean, I, I took a small loan against my husband's car to buy all my equipment and get my website and get everything up and running. And then, you know, every penny I made for the first six months went to pay that back. And yeah, I mean, I grew this really great business, um, while still being able to be home with my kids 90% of the time. Um, so that was, you know, that was sort of my first business venture. And then, um, I decided right before Rosie came home that with five kids, I, I just couldn't keep up this business. It had grown a lot and it was becoming hard to, to take care of the kids and to keep up that business. Um, and I was ending up being away more than I wanted to be every, like every weekend, you know, Mm -hmm. CR was home with the kids, which was great, but I was away doing photo shoots all weekend. So I decided that, you know, I was going to stop that business and retire. Um, and I had started making around that time or a little before I'd started making just some videos on YouTube. (laughs) Um, my channel actually started out, um, called, uh, busy mom's beauty tips. That was what I was going to do. I was going to, you know, give makeup advice and stuff for (laughs) busy moms. That was something I'd always been really interested in and something my friends came to me for already. So I felt like this would be really natural. So that's what I decided to start doing. Well, like, for example, I did a video about like how to do your makeup for family portraits and people were like, um, Hey, your family looks a little different. What's happening here? Um, (laughs) so I started finding that people were far more interested in learning about adoption and our family and that kind of thing than they were about any beauty tips I had to offer. So our channel just kind of like very naturally morphed into family content. And um, yeah, it just kind of sort of grew from there. And I had my blog and was blogging about homeschool stuff and some adoption stuff and everything. And so really for the last couple of years, that's um, been my job and sort of what I do and Um, we really enjoy it. We love having the memories for our family. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love the community and building relationship and encouraging moms, you know, it's sort of like we kind of have a split audience. And so we have a lot of people who just enjoy watching our family vlogs and seeing what we get up to and what it's like to take seven kids to the park or, you know, to (laughs) Disney or whatever. And then, you know, other people who I'll do these, I do these sit down videos called ask Angie, where I'll talk about, you know, some kind of motherhood related, um, woman related topic. And, um, you know, I have a sort of another part of my audience that really enjoys those where we just kind of talk about like the nitty gritty stuff of motherhood and parenting Mm -hmm. and all of that. So it's been really amazing. Um, and it's, you know, helped me to kind of springboard into other things that I want to do. And I'm currently writing a book and, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been really, it's been really awesome. Hard at times for sure, because anytime you put your life out there, people feel as though they have every right to scrutinize every little thing that you say and do. Um, so that's fun. But for the most part, the community (laughs) has been great and I, I've enjoyed it so much and truly like seeing, you know, getting messages from people saying, Hey, I, I was scared about adopting a child with Down syndrome, but after seeing Rosie and how she operates in your home and what it's really like, we decided to move forward. And so, you know, when people send me pictures of like, you guys inspired us to adopt and here's our son, we're picking him up today or, you know, like that kind of stuff just 
I mean, pulls my heartstrings. And I feel like, yes, I will take all of the mean hate comments in the world to know that somebody came here and we, we could be part of their story. Like, I don't claim to be the reason, but like if we, that we could just be one small piece of that puzzle um, for helping these kids get into families is awesome and 100% worth it. Yeah. Oh, I, I was just about to say that that was going to be my response. It sounds like it's so worth it um, because you're right. It is hard. It's hard to put yourself out there. It's hard to um, it's hard to share the honest truth. And we've yeah. already talked about that some in this interview, just that there are a lot of ugly feelings and um, really hard times. And it's the, you know, the ending of our story doesn't happen in the airport when you come home. Right. That's where it starts um, in the airport for you. For me, it was just, you know, a, someone dropped off a baby on our doorstep. It was fine. <laughs> That was Front porch, them. airport, it's, that's all. It literally was. He was wrapped up in a blanket. She was like, okay, here. Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine. Yeah, it was. I was pregnant, too, so. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my it gosh. Was, it was real fun. Uh, we actually did a family vlog as well during our whole adoption story. Um, oh, that's awesome. I know. My husband's a photographer and videographer. And so he really, why did I, I feel like I need to know all of these things. We have so much in common. I know. I, I feel like I'm having deja vu as you're talking. I'm like, yep, been there, been there. Um, I'm not the creative one he is. And so <laughs> I keep encouraging him to start the vlog back, but just do it for, cause we were yes. trying to combine our footage and it was just a lot. And so I'm like, you should just do it. And if we're in it, great. If we're not fine, you just do it for yourself. Totally. So we'll see if that happens. He's sitting in the room so I'm do it do it do it (laughs) she's saying do it (laughs) gives a thumbs up um so okay uh that we've covered like so much ground there's so much story here and I love every minute of it but are you ready for some of these closing questions yes absolutely bring them on (laughs) all right so what do you wish that someone had told you at the very beginning of this journey um and you have a lot of little journeys but like you know, starting this adoption thing? Um, All the way back to the beginning, I would say I wish someone had talked to me more about trauma, Mm. what that looks like, what it does to the brain and, and how that can actually affect you and traumatize you as the parent. And then now you're both, now you have two traumatized people trying to relate to each other. So I wish I had known more about that because you see the videos and I'm guilty. I mean, I have the beautiful airport videos up there for people to see those precious meeting my child for the first time videos. You see all those things and it looks so amazing, but there's not really, and rightfully so, there's not videos out there that are like, let's talk about the traumatic things right? (laughs) Um, because that's, you know, exploitive. So you wouldn't want to put all of that out there, but I just wish I had known and talked more, someone had talked to me more about trauma and what that really looks like um, and how it doesn't look like even what you think it would. Yeah. Amen, sister. So, okay. What is something you wish you had done differently? Um, I wish that I had, again, not been so naive and read more. I wish I had done more research on my own, um, you know, TBRI and Karen Purvis and those things like that I didn't stumble upon until later. And I wish I would have known them from the beginning because I could have saved myself and probably my kids a little (laughs) or a lot of hurt and struggle. Yes. Uh, Yeah. And, and honestly, 
I just want to add on to what you're saying. I think that um, both of those things lead to our own as adoptive moms, our own uh, sub trauma or secondary trauma and subsequent counseling. And that's something Mm -hmm. that I think a lot of people think they can get away without. Um, But that's yeah, it's it's part of it. Yep. For sure. Okay, so what is your favorite way that your tribe supported you through your adoption story? You know, I have the most amazing friends who, you know, showed up for fundraisers, hauled all their crap out of their garage for me to sell, um, (laughs) brought cookies, brought meals. But I think that the biggest thing was the grace that they gave me during that time um, to sometimes be the friend who was taking instead of giving. Mm. Um, And, you know, friendships need to ebb and flow. And so you know, to go an extended period of time being the one who's um, sort of on the receiving end and taking all the time can feel like, oh, they're never going to want to be my friend again. Like they're going to think I'm just like, oh, the worst. Um, but having friends who, even though it wasn't their story and they couldn't relate, they understood and empathized and, and showed me a lot of grace. That's yeah. No, that's a big one. Cause yeah, that's, yeah, I feel like that's another thing we don't realize we're going to need so much of. Um, Mm -hmm. so on the flip side of that, what is a way that you felt hurt or misunderstood by, um, by those who were close to you? I, I mean, I can't really think of anything that I would say, like I've ever felt hurt by, because I feel like my, again, my friends have done a really good job of just trying to be like, I don't understand, but I'm here for you. Um, but like, as we talked about, sometimes the people that are closest to us, when you have a child who um, sort of knows how to work people, mm-hmm. and so they appear one way in front of your friends and family, and then when those people leave, they're a completely different child. And so when you try to say, no, 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 you don't understand, or they'll think you're being really hard on one of your children. And yes. I'm like, I promise I am not being too hard on this kid. You don't understand. And there's no way for them to understand because they can't see it because the kid is really good (laughs) at not being that kid when people are around, you know, that's how, that's how trauma works. That's how they learn to cope. And, um, and so that I think has been the heart, that would be, I would say like the hardest thing, you know, relationally with friends and even family is sometimes people not understanding that, like, I know you think I'm being hard on this kid. Mm -hmm. Um, but you just, you have to trust me that you don't know and don't understand the full sort of scope of what's happening here. Right. Or they think you're being overdramatic. And I think that, um, right. Something that's not that bad. (laughs) Right. And something that's so good for the, for, uh, for the people that you're talking about to understand because we've walked that road too is we, and what I had to learn is that it was literally a survival skill for that. Like mm-hmm. manipulation was literally like a life or death situation for them, mm-hmm. or at least that was their perception. And so if something, if your life depended on making someone believe something, you would make them believe it. Oh yeah. You yeah. would become, yeah, you would become excellent at that skill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, okay. What is your favorite adoption resource? You know, I, I feel like probably lots of people have come on here and listed some amazing books and stuff, but I got to tell you, like the boots on the ground for me was the Facebook groups that I was a part of during our processes for, you know, for the China adoption and for our Congolese adoption. Um, these, you know, just other moms who were walking through the same thing had already been through it, could share advice and resources. And again, that's where I found the one mom that I reached out to right after I came home from China. I mean, those, those groups were really and truly like 
the meat and potatoes of the help that I received. Um, cause I had read books and things like that. Um, but nothing, nothing prepared you like someone else's personal experience, um, where you could really talk to somebody and like get down to the nitty gritty of it. For sure. Oh, that's a good one. Um, and then lastly, what is your biggest piece, biggest piece of advice or encouragement? If you could sum it all up to adoptive families. Okay. I feel like those are actually two separate things. So my biggest piece of advice would be to expect the unexpected. Mm. Nothing is going to go how you think it's going to go. So just lay down all those expectations. But my biggest piece of encouragement would be to remember that he sees you at every step. That even when you feel like nobody around you understands, nobody sees what you're going through, nobody understands the hurt and even your spouse sometimes they're gone at work and you're home with these kids and they don't understand when you say like this day has been hell um that god always sees you in all of those moments and loves you and is there for you um because that's been my faith has been challenged and stretched um but has also taken a deep, deep dive into something so much more meaningful for me through our adoption processes, because it's true. Like you know, people say, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And that's just simply not true. He gives you way more than you can handle so that you run and jump into his arms. Yeah. And I would always encourage moms to like, do that. <laughs> 100% do that. Oh, Mama, I was sitting here like writing that down as you were saying it. <laughs> I, I think I needed to hear that too. So uh, you've given so much amazing, I don't know, just advice and um, just parts about your story that are in and of themselves encouraging. So I just mm-hmm. want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show and Absolutely. be such an encouragement to the listeners. And um, I want to know where can we find you on all yeah, the things so- you do? Yeah, so I am This Gathered Nest pretty much everywhere on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Um, If you're into homeschooling, I have a homeschooling channel that's called This Gathered Schoolhouse. But everything else is This Gathered Nest pretty much everywhere. So fun. And um, yeah, thanks again, Angela. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I know this stuff is hard, and I hope you found encouragement here. Remember, you are enough, and you're doing a great job. God wants to be at the center of this journey, and He is big enough to redeem all of our mistakes. Don't forget to check out show notes and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.